podcraft. This episode is sponsored by Still Point Wellness. I love Still Point Wellness. I love the staff. I love their services. They offer a very unique spa experience in Asheville. All of their services are designed to help you unplug from the stresses of today's modern world. And boy, do we all need that. They do it through services like saltwater flotation, also known as sensory deprivation, the world-renowned Esalen massage, cranial sacral therapy, and somatic psychology. They are locally owned and operated by my dear friends, Corey Costanzo and Robin Fan Costanzo. Corey is a somatic therapist and he teaches mindfulness meditation courses. And Robin is an internationally renowned massage instructor who was actually inducted into the Massage World Hall of Fame. Their highly skilled massage staff have each trained under Robin and each earned full certification to practice Esalen Massage. I love Esalen Massage. I know it. I'm an Esalen Massage practitioner. It is a fantastic massage. Together, Corey and Robin have created a world-class experience in understanding the mind-body connection through deep relaxation. So contact them at stillpointwell.com or call 828-348-5372. And don't forget to mention discount code PREPO to get 10% off your first float and first Esalen massage. I really believe that you're going to love the experience. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preble Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, coworkers. Neighbors, relationships, let's talk about it. Hello, everybody. Before I tell you more about today's episode, the importance of self-inquiry in building healthy relationships, I want to mention a workshop that my wife and I, Ivana Rainbow, are giving in Asheville, North Carolina on Sunday, November 11th. It's a couples workshop called The Power of Appreciation. It's an absolutely wonderful workshop. And those of you that have listened to my past episode on The Power of Appreciation will get some inclining of what this will be. And you can find more information on my website, heartsharecounseling.com, and you can contact me if you would like to register. Also, we're going to be taking that live workshop and make that an online workshop for couples, and that should be coming out in early spring, so stay tuned. So I had a very special conversation with a very, very dear friend of mine, Greg Lavoie, which I think you will be able to know that he is a dear friend by our rapport and our conversations. Greg is a author, a speaker, and a seminar leader. He is the author of the best-selling book, Callings, Finding and Following an Authentic Life, and also his new book, Vital Signs, Discovering and Sustaining Your Passion for Life. Greg is also a blogger on Psychology Today, as well as a former behavior specialist at USA Today. 
So we had a lot of fun with talking about the importance of this self-inquiry. We talked about knowing thyself and several ways to do that through dreams and dream work, through journaling, through self-inquiring questions. And many of you know how important it is to really understand and know what's going on with your own emotions first in order to be able to know what's going on in other people's and what's going on in your relationship. So I'm pretty sure that you will really find this a fun and interesting conversation. Enjoy. So Greg, man, I am really excited about doing this one. I've been wanting to have you on my show ever since the beginning, ever since the beginning of you and I actually talked about me doing a podcast. I was so excited because how good of friends we are and how we just go back and forth in our conversation. It's a wonderful, generous conversation. So thanks for doing this. My pleasure. So we have conversations all the time. And one of the themes that we talk about a lot is our own relationship with ourselves and how we are walking in the world and the incredible aspects that we need to have that relationship with ourselves or we can't have relationship with others in the authentic way. So I know that you teach it, you live it, you write about it. I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts about our relationship with ourselves. Yeah. Big subject. The term that you just used to describe some of the conversations that you and I have always had as generous conversations, there's an NPR commentator named Krista Tippett, who has really been a shining light for me around that, even that word. And she talks about how important it is to be a generous listener, meaning somebody who has actual curiosity about the other guy and isn't just waiting for their turn to talk. And she just says how incredibly important it is to cultivate the skill of being a generous listener. And I think you and I share that piece. And so what that means to me is that's a skill that I have to cultivate in my own backyard, in a sense, almost before I can take it out into other people's backyards. In other words, it's really that that age-old idea that you can't love other people until you love yourself. Well, that generous listening, love light has to be turned in our own directions, in my opinion. And that could be doing dream work, that could be doing journaling, that could be belonging to some kind of a group for instance, whose members get together for the purpose of waking up in our own individual lives. It can be all kinds of things, having conversations with your body, whatever. But I think that piece about having an ongoing relationship with yourself, a conversational relationship is critical. When I I think of the people that I interviewed, say, for the Callings book, every single one of those people I talked to told me that they had some kind of practice in their life. And the whole point of this was a self-reflective practice, was to strike up a conversation with themselves. And so you look at the kind of people these were. These are the receptive types and the responsive types. All right. These are people who are not suffering from what the mythologist Joseph Campbell called the great sacrilege mm-hmm. in terms of the soul's integrity. That's his the way he languaged it. The great sacrilege in terms of the soul's integrity is what he called inadvertence. In other words, not paying attention, not having the receivers turned on. And coming from somebody like that, who's been one of my teachers and my mentors and my heroes, that means a lot to me 
is the willingness to strike up a conversation with the deep self on an ongoing basis. Which isn't always pleasant. (laughs) You know, that's the beauty of it is if we're going to have an authentic conversation with ourselves, we have to be prepared to maybe hear some things that are challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Be prepared to hear what you hear when you turn the receiver on, (laughs) which is not always pleasant, not always easy. And I think that's one reason people don't turn the receivers on. It's like, oh my God, I'm just going to clamp my hands over my ears and dance around madly to drown out the sound of my own authenticity, what my life really wants from me, uh, what I really know that I'm not acting on. It could be anything like that. And that could be really scary because that's what you address a lot in in callings and and your workshops around that part of what you might hear can be really scary. And And some people shut it down, right? And what you must address in being a, ther- a therapist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how does this show up in therapy? Is people's relationship, whether they have that receiver on or off to who they are, how does that show up in therapy? Uh, it shows up a lot. You know, it shows up in whether it's individual therapy or couples therapy, but especially in couples therapy, sometimes I do breakout sessions and I like to get real with the individual that I'm having the breakout sessions. Mm. So are you being authentic in these couples work? What's really going on for you? Do you really want to be in this relationship? Do you know if you want to be in it? Are you speaking to it? Are you trying to figure out all aspects of what you want? Are you expressing that in your relationship? And a lot of people have a very difficult time showing up in their relationship with their true self. Right. What do I really want? Hmm. What do I really know? Am I walking my talk? Hmm. You know, for that matter, even what is my unconscious communicating to me through, say, my dreams or my body? You're doing a lot of dream work. What are some oh. of the things that are you going through that you're studying around? How that unconscious messages come through dreams? Oh, my God. Dreams, I mean, there's a reason that Freud called them the royal road to the unconscious because they're just, they're just a bullet train into what is really going on down there. And one of the things I know from my own dream work is that dreams generally tell me something I don't already know at a conscious level, you know? And that's really critical for me to know that. For instance, here's a great example. I was approached years ago by a team of people from HBO, and they wanted to turn the Callings book into a reality-based television show. Wow. They flew me out to LA. They wined me, and they dined me, and they even took me clothes shopping, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was just so presumptuous and- (laughs) <laughs> and uh, nonetheless, they the night before I was supposed to sign on the dotted line, I had a dream about that team of people from HBO, and I dreamed that all three of them were wearing patent leather shoes and costume jewelry. Wow. And I turned the offer down. And all of my hot-blooded entrepreneurial friends were just freaking out. Like, you did what? You turned down, you what? And- I did that because at that point, I'd been doing enough dream work to know that they told me how I really felt. And what that dream was saying was I didn't trust them. Hmm. Fake patent leather shoes, costume jewelry. I didn't trust them. They were phony to me. And I turned down that project because of a dream. And, you know, in our culture, oh, you're just dreaming. Oh, it's a pipe dream. We don't understand that dreams are real. They have real information and real consequences if we ignore them. And that's part of the self-knowledge piece is it comes through things like dreams. It comes through things like body symptoms. And we need to pay the hell attention. Yeah. 
So what what would they have worn that you think that you would have pulled the trigger? <laughs> right. <and gone? laughs> yeah, I don't know. A couple of nice Armani suits might have might have turned the tide. Or if they were naked. Or Maybe. if they were naked. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Yeah, but That's a great um, example. I I just I have a lot of faith in the material that comes from the deep self. And didn't you do some of that work when you were deciding to go from working? at the newspaper mm. to uh, freelancing. Yeah. Wasn't that some of the work that you did, some of the dreams that came up to right. make your decisions? Exactly. So, yeah. I wanted to be a journalist in Washington, D.C. so bad, and I got an offer to work at the startup of USA Today back in 82, and my conscious mind was saying, kick-ass opportunity, you get to be a journalist in Washington, you get to work on the nation's newspaper, and you get to get out of Cincinnati, Ohio, <laughs> which I was working for the Cincinnati Inquirer at the time. But my dreams were having no part of this. Hmm. They said, no, this is who you really are. I had dreams of uh, losing my wallet with all of my identification cards in them. <sighs> so losing my sense of identity. <laughs> I had dreams of being handed a stack of $100 bills and then finding out that only the top bill was a 100. All the rest were ones and I'd been cheated. Uh-huh. I found, uh, I had a dream of finding a golden calf chained to the ground. I mean, what the hell is that? That's that's what the Israelites were worshiping before God pitched a fit and represents the pursuit of shallow materialism, the golden, right. calf. The golden calf. And tons, dozens of dreams of that nature. And what I was doing at that time was what I had done since high school. I was keeping dream journals. I wrote them all down, but I did no interpretation at the time because hmm. my conscious mind didn't want to hear about it. Didn't want to hear that I should not be at USA Today trading off passion for prestige Mm. and security, which is what I was doing. My heart and my soul were not into having my long stylistic feature style, essay style articles torn to shreds by news McNuggets. (laughs) Which is what the Washington Post called USA Today when it was first born. My conscious mind just shut that out. But my dreams did not. And this, again, is relationship to my real self. I had to be willing to listen to that. And frankly, I wasn't until I got fired. Wow. It's the only job I've ever been fired from. And then I went back and looked at the dreams and went, oh, my God. There it is. Those are great examples of not only just following it, but also having to interpret it. So one aspect is like you were, you were also interpreting it from your own knowing and not just going into some expert to interpret those dreams, right? Yeah, well, certainly with dream work, I'm not inclined to do that because, I don't know, dream dictionaries. Yeah. Maybe there's a lot to be said for them, but, you know, for instance, everybody thinks that when you dream of the ocean, it represents the unconscious. I don't know, maybe, but water is going to mean something really different to somebody who almost drowned as a kid, for instance, than it is to somebody like me who's more at home in the water than the fishes. So I don't know, dream dictionaries, big grain of salt Hmm. and all that. So more it's about asking myself the question, how does this dream relate to something going on in my life right now? I mean, that's one good operative question. Where does this look familiar? <laughs> and one medium that you do that, of course, you're a fantastic writer, but you write about that. Those questions you actually answer yeah. in writing, in journaling, you encourage that in, in your workshops and so forth. Can you talk more about like the wonderful benefit 
to do journaling to know thyself. Yeah. Even more than that, I think it's the wonderful benefit of asking questions, mm. which is one of the things I've always appreciated about our relationship, mm. is that you and I have curiosity about just the world, for one, but each other. Each other. And we ask questions, and there's something so powerful about being asked a question. How do you really feel about that? Or did you have any dreams last night? Or what is your body trying to tell you right now? Or just anything. Just ask questions. Um, mm. There's something so marvelous that Quakers have this really cool tradition called clearness committees. This They invented 100 years ago to help their members gain clarity about callings specifically. And the whole process is you pull a, a half a dozen or a dozen people together in a circle from among your circle of acquaintances, and you're the focal person. And there's one rule only in clearness committees, questions only. Mm. So nobody's allowed to give you advice fixing and problem solving and you know, let me tell you about the time this happened to me, you know, or devil's advocate questions right. or any question that starts with, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Because that's cheating. Right. That's advice couched as a question. But I have been in those groups as both a focal person and a committee member, and it's astonishing and moving what happens to people under the influence of other people's curiosity but compassionate curiosity. Right. So these questions are more for the sake of evoking rather than provoking. Right. And I see people just in tears sometimes being the center of that quality of attention. And I think that's one of the things you and I offer one another just in our friendship and something I do for myself also. And that's something I do in my teaching. I'm a reporter. That's what I've always done to pay the bills. I, I ask questions. I, I always like to use you because I, I think of when I tell people, when you're listening to somebody, be an emotional journalist. Mm. Don't conclude. Keep asking questions. That's Inquire, great. especially emotionally. So I tell people in, in relationships, hone in on the emotion and question. Be curious and interested mm. in that. So what we're also talking about is we got to do that to ourselves. We got to be curious and interested especially in our emotional world. So yeah. we have to ask those questions to ourselves. Of ourselves. Right. So what did that dream that woke me up in the middle of the night last night mean to me? Right. Don't steamroller that because that's the soul trying to speak to you. It's important to listen to that. I, I think my training for all of this came from my dad because his favorite game to play with me and my two brothers hmm. was something he invented called the alien game. <laughs> I know I've shared this with I you. I love it. But the alien game was, he was an alien from another planet, which we had suspected all along. <laughs> and we were his guides on earth. And so we'd just go out into the neighborhood or into the city or something. And he would ask questions about the planet that he saw. And we had to try to explain it to him. What are the white formations that move through your atmosphere? And we'd say, clouds. And he'd say, what are they made of? And we'd say, what the hell are they made of? They're made of, they're made <laughs> of cotton. Yeah, that's right. Cotton balls. There you go. No, my dad was a scientist. He would have never gone for that answer. Nice try, kiddo. But water, you know. Yeah. And then he would start asking questions like, well, how does the water get up there? Mm. And what holds it up if water, as everybody knows in this universe, is heavier than air? And what makes it move and all that. And so this was the alien game. And it was a phenomenal inquiry into just how stuff works. And I think that was one of my great inspirations for asking questions. Because without questions, uh, there's no discovery. 
You know, and that goes not just for myself, learning about myself, but say in your line of work, learning about your partner. Right. I mean, how often do you genuinely ask questions of your partner? What makes you tick? Why do you respond the way you do to when, when I do this or that? What makes you joyous? What makes you angry? What turns you on in lovemaking? I mean, so many questions. And those questions, when we're getting to the know thyself is, we have to have a good center of differentiation within ourselves mm. to be able to hear our partner say something that we may either disagree, want a different answer, we don't like it, we feel disappointed. Instead of staying right. with their experience, they're an expert of their experience, right. and to inquire more instead of bringing our stuff back right. in. Well, that's where being an emotional journalist would come in handy because right. a journalist wouldn't do that. Right. They, wouldn't, they wouldn't react and start talking about their own stuff, right. they would keep inquiring. Mm. And that's a really good skill in that sense to cultivate. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear that when you have asked some of those questions and some answers that you found out, let's say in different relationships, whether it's a relationship with a partner, friends, parents, can you tell me some things that might've been difficult when you know that you got the answer than to act upon it? yourself like you knew ah i know what's going on right now because i've listened to myself now i've got to follow through or i've got to be authentic and confront that person with more of my understanding of what's going on mm. my own boundary mm. yeah that's a great question um i would say part of the self-reflective practices that i have had in my life especially things like journaling and dream work for instance I've learned a lot about myself in the process of that. But to be able to bring that, especially to a situation, for instance, where I'm charged, like a partnership or a friendship right. or with my twin brother or a parent, <laughs> when I'm charged to know what I know and then respond from that place rather than react to what they're saying. Mm. It's like, okay, you just did X, whatever X behavior was or something you said or did. It's easy to just knee-jerk to that and react because it pisses me off. And maybe I don't even know why because I haven't done any self-reflection. I just – maybe I'm channeling something my dad did to me when I was a kid or whatever, dynamic between me and my older brother. But responding from it's a whole different story. Because of the self-reflective work I've done, I have a better understanding of why I'm reacting or feeling reactive or charged to something, for instance, that somebody does. And then to be able to speak to that, just, you know, the language that you're probably very familiar with is, so when you did that, this is what happened in my body, hmm. or this is what judgment I have about that, or- This is what I'm making up in my mind. Yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah. This is a story I'm making up in my head about that and about you, but you can't do any of that if you don't even know that data. Exactly. If you're not accessing that data at any level, you don't even know that. You're just reacting to something you don't even understand yourself. And that's why this piece about intelligence to me, no, intelligence according to the dictionary is the capacity to understand. That's what intelligence is described as, mm. the capacity to understand. That's part of the self-dialoguing work, is that when I understand what makes me tick, what I'm composed of, you know, what makes me move, <laughs> like with the clouds, I'm a better partner in relationships. Mm. I'm, I'm more in tune with what I'm really doing and what I'm really feeling, and I'm not going to project onto you. I'm not going right. to splatter onto you. That's that piece about loving other people. You've got to love yourself first. 
and I think the part that w- what kind of person do I want to be? I think in, in listening and those questions, for me, that showed up in our relationship recently when we had that talk a few weeks ago in the cemetery. We love to go into, into the cemetery and walk because we know it's going to be really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a real reality when you walk in the cemetery Ooh, yeah. of what life is. Yeah. But we sat across from each other and you uh, shared some news about you were you're mm. going to be moving to Santa Cruz in a few months. Right. And I really didn't really have that clue that that was going to happen so fast. And of course I had this internal reaction, like what the fuck? No way, man. You can't do that. Don't tell me this. Don't tell me this. But the work on myself paused me to feel real quickly. Okay. This is right now. Not about me. You're Mm. sharing it. And I want to be the friend that I want to be. And I want to support you. And my first reaction wants, wants to be to you. I'm so happy that you made that decision because yeah. I know it's good for you. Yeah, And I could go ahead and whine and I can pull at you and lock you in the car and have you not leave later. <laughs> Let me first focus and validate your experience and how much I love you and care about you. I think I need to do my own work. I needed to do my own work on myself to know myself, to actually show up, to be that kind of person, that friend that I wanted to be in that moment. Sure. And, you know, somewhere I guess you have to ask, okay, so I just got this piece of news. How do I feel about that? What's coming up for me? How do I want to communicate what I feel? Uh, I think one of the great relationship skills comes out of this level of self-reflection, which is vulnerability. Right. It's like being willing to acknowledge I'm bummed out right. or I'm scared or I'm hurt right. or I feel a um, sense of loss, whatever. But, you know, you, you got to have those receivers turned on to even know that. Right. And I think for me that the first part of that experience was whether it's my skill as a, as a counselor or years of being a parent, I first wanted to be able to be with your experience right. and not you know, show this incredible shock or so forth. But as we kept talking, I allowed that vulnerability to come up. I shed those tears in front of you. Yeah. You felt my feelings of, of, of loss, but I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't trumped by me doing that in the beginning in yeah. reaction. And I think that that's part of, for me, knowing myself is also, how do I want to be in this situation? So I know myself enough to know, yes, I have these reactions. How authentic are they? Are they just reactions? How do I want to express it? How do I want to be? And those right. are constant questions. What am I doing that makes it difficult to get what I want? Mm. I ask those questions to myself. Right. What can I do to make it easier to get what I want? Those two questions for me are like vital mm. in the moments to be able to know how I respond to a situation is going to be indicative and influential to the response I get back. Definitely. You know, I think this is one of the reasons why I love this notion of having a mission statement. I know you were mentioning the the Mankind Project work earlier, the, mm. what is that? New do? Warrior. The New Warrior training, right. the woman within. One of the reasons I've loved that is one of the things that they have the guys do in that personal growth retreat that they do is come up with a mission statement for their life, which is really kind of a question that's at the heart of your journey. You know, for me, it's something like, in how many ways can I encourage other people to be authentic? Um, that's part of what my mission statement is. And that should inform everything that comes out of my mouth and every action, you know, like I have a friend out in, in uh, San Francisco who once told me that he had a mission statement for his whole life. And it went like this. My mission in life is to create more peace and kindness in the world through my work, 
my relationships, and my actions. Voila. Brilliant. A noble quest. So the conversation that followed, though, uh, one of the questions that I asked him was, so, Daniel, what happens when somebody wants to cut in front of you on the freeway? And I said this knowing how he drives. <laughs> you know, I said, you're going to step on the brake or the accelerator because one leads to more peace and kindness in the world right. and one leads to less. Hmm. And you can see pretty quickly how the sheer number of opportunities to be either in or out of integrity with your precious mission statement in the course of, let's say, an afternoon of driving around in the freeways of L.A. or increasingly Asheville piles up pretty fast and becomes a real heroic challenge. But the work is in brake or accelerator, mm. brake or accelerator. You know, I mean, I remember reading um, St. Francis once said, always preach the gospel where necessary, use words. Wow. It's in your actions, and that grows out of what is the question that's at the heart of my life? What is the mission that motivates what I do? And can I apply that to all the relationships I have, the actions that I take, the responses I have to things? I think all of that is part of really a deep level of self-work that I think is critical. How am I going to respond to my friend telling me that he's going to leave. If my mission in life is to create more peace and kindness in the right. world, am I going to tell him, you bum? Right. Or am I going to say, ouch, good mm. for you. I'm proud of you and I'm excited for you. Mm. Big difference, break or accelerator. Right. Those questions that you talk about, you ask a lot in your workshops. And yeah. I'm curious to hear some stories that people have said, what they've gotten, what decisions that they've made in regards to, for instance, relationships in their life based on some self-inquiry that maybe that they haven't had before. I know I'm putting you on the spot no, that's to, fine. to, to that's remember some, um, but I know that because that's part of what therapy is so good at is asking those questions that either people all of a sudden have a aha moment or they digest it and they come back on a deeper level and they say, wow, that question that you just asked me really made me feel, yes, I want to keep going in, in my relationship or I need to tell my mother that I need a pause and I no longer want to have the kind of relationship that we're having, so I'm not going to talk to her for a while. Well, while I'm, I'm noodling on this question, give me an example from therapy, a yeah. question that's had that kind of impact on somebody. I think uh, some of those questions that I come across is around, do they want to be in a relationship or not? Oh. And some of the question, of course, that I, that I ask are, are you bringing, is this, this is one of the questions I, I love to ask, does this relationship make you a better person? Mm -hmm. And when they really feel it, some people, if they come across with the no, actually know this relationship doesn't, maybe not the other person, mm. but the relationship, how I'm showing up also, <sighs> does it make me a better person? And as they contemplated that, they have decided that this relationship for so many years is not the right relationship just by asking that one Ooh, question. That really cuts through it, doesn't it? Right, yeah. Is this relationship serving you? Are you growing? Are you thriving? Right. Do I like myself in this relationship? You've asked that question before uh, of do I, that, that was kind of part of your journey of deciding yeah. where to move. Right. You know. Yeah. This came from a woman that I did a consultation with a year or two ago. She was, as she put it, dating cities. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> she was taking an apartment for a month in different places to see where she wanted to relocate. And I caught up with her when she was in New Orleans. And what she said about being in New Orleans was, I like myself here. Mm -hmm. 
And she didn't say, I like New Orleans best. She said, I like myself here. I like who shows up. So that, yeah, that was part of my process of relocating myself as I dated a, a couple of cities and uh, it was incredibly clarifying. Hmm. But the question, do I like myself here? That, I love that in, the, in a relationship, I would tell people, if you ask that, do I like myself here? First, you have to go f- through an inquiry of, then am I the common denominator? If I don't like myself in the relationship, <laughs> it may not be the relationship, but also maybe me. I'm not being fulfilled. I'm not being creative. I haven't fostered other relationships that bring mm, out things in me that right. I can actually bring yeah. back into the relationship. So mm. it's not just a quick one of, yes, the relationship is wrong for me. We have to self-evaluate what's going on for me that I can change first. Right. I mean, you know, when you look back at your own, let's say, relationship history, you look at your string of relationships you might have had over the course of your life. Isn't there like always one character who shows up in every one of those relationships? Me. I mean, that's a critical <laughs> piece of data right there. Right. I mean, what kind of people are you choosing to work out? What kind of issues? Right. That's critical. But you know, what you're getting at, I think, in your line of work is how do you take re- responsibility for what's happening in the relationship? Because it's so easy to want to blame the other guy. Mm. I mean, my God, I've been there. It's so much easier to blame them and get all uppity about it rather than to say, you know, how am I participating? How did I, in fact, choose this person to have this drama with unconsciously, but there's the unconscious piece. I think half of living a creative life and a, and a thriving life is getting what's on the inside out, making what's unconscious conscious. That's why I mentioned the dream work is so important, but therapy is so important because that's a self-reflective process. You know, you, if you were to listen to an hour of therapy, if you were to tape record it, you'd essentially really hear a conversation between somebody and themselves. That's right. So our self-talk is so important to understand that that's constantly going on. Right. So we have to pause it and actually, you know, dilute the aspects of what was just occurring moment by moment by moment. Really? I mean, that's why I always thought it would be a great idea for therapists to tape record, send these people home with it and have them sort of deconstruct it on their own. It's like, listen to what you're saying. If you were hearing a friend having this conversation with his or her partner, what kind of intervention would you offer? What questions would you ask? I think it's really important to have that feedback. Mm. You know, I remember years ago taking a public speaking class from a guy named Lee Glickstein, who I interviewed, in fact, recallings. He has something called speaking circles. And what you do in every class period, everybody's got to come get up on, on a little stage in front of a microphone and a video camera and do a three minute spontaneous presentation, meaning no notes, no prep, just speak to who you are in this moment, this hour, this day. And sometimes people do nothing but cry for their three minutes. (laughs) And frankly, those are the people I think make the biggest strides in the course of the class, willing to be that vulnerable up front. But his rule in those speaking circles is no criticism, Mm. no critiquing platform skills or how many ums you said or any of that. He says positive emotional support only which bugs people to no end to say, how's anybody going to learn if we don't give them constructive criticism? He says, they're going to take that video home. Trust me. They're going to tear themselves apart. Fine. Without your help. Yes. What they really need is positive emotional support. And that's how he believes people grow in these situations. And I think that's how people grow in relationships. That's something that you and I do so well with Ah, each other in our friendships. Right. I think that we give each other such wonderful, positive support 
and really help each other look at the positive aspects and the appreciation for what it is that that we're experiencing. Right. I love doing that. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember which birthday, a few birthdays ago when I wrote whatever it was, 20 or 25 appreciations to you and you did the same to me. Oh, yeah. And that aspect of being seen in a positive light really then helps the other critic to come in in a softer voice. Right. And to have you read it to me in person out loud, Mm. (laughs) rather than just me reading it on a piece of paper. Right. I mean, I remember the first time I did that to you, I think one of your birthdays, I said, I've got these appreciations. You were like, all right, hold on a minute. And you were like getting comfortable in your chair. You were opening your arms and your legs and you were kind of prepping. And you said, all right, bring it on. I'm ready. And But the way that you just opened yourself up to really receiving it was critical because Um, That's one of the things that Lee used to say in the speaking circles, learn how to take your applause, Mm. learn how to take your applause. You've seen this a million times on stage when somebody's being applauded, they're distracted, they're putting their guitar in their case. Sometimes they're literally turning their back on you. They're walking off stage. They're not taking it. It's like the circuit isn't complete. I'm offering you this gift of appreciation. Acknowledge it. You know, not to the point when somebody's got to take a cane and yank you by the neck off stage. You know, you you don't want it to be pathetic, but you want to receive it. My God, you want it so badly. You've got to admit it. You want the appreciation. You're getting it. Take it. And I imagine if somebody did what you just said, like didn't take it, that's the kind of inquiry that you're talking about, I think, is ask that question. Why didn't I take that that applause? What is it that I'm fearful of? Or uh, am I fearful of my largeness? Is, am I embarrassed about myself to fully take it in? How will people think? Those questions need to be asked either in the moments or reflective in the, in the past moments exactly. of, of digestion. Absolutely. Why am I rejecting this? That's a really critical question. Just so in relationship, why am I just rejecting my partner's bid for connection? My partner just came up to me mm. and they put their hand on me or they wanted a hug and I didn't fully give them a hug. What is going on with me that I'm not either receiving Ooh. it or able to give it? Is oh. there underlying resentment going on? Did I not speak to something of an argument that happened a week ago, 10 years ago, whatever oh, it was? My God. So those reflect- Or is it just the- too vulnerable? <laughs> you know, I stood on the sidewalk with a mutual friend of ours who I was, you know, I've been saying my goodbyes here in Asheville mm. for the last couple of weeks and will for the next month and a half. And goodbyes are really hard. And I stood on the sidewalk with her thinking this may be the last time I see her ever. And, you know, that's one of the things about saying goodbye to people is it's an acknowledgement that our paths may never cross again. And there's this moment where we stood on the sidewalk after we'd hugged and she, we just exchanged a gaze for maybe five seconds. And she reached over and she put her hand on my cheek mm-hmm. and just held it there for a few seconds. And it was so exquisitely vulnerable and tender and lovely in the extreme, but I could see how uncomfortable it made me also. Mm. It's just, not just the acknowledgement of loss and parting, but somebody reaching across to express their love for me. I mean, I I had a friend here say, this whole goodbye thing for you, this whole leaving Asheville thing, you may be confronted with the challenge of opening to how much people love you. Yeah. Which really rocked my world. I mean, how true is that? That's very true. To open to that. And endings are as important as beginnings. Mm. That's, I think, something that people don't really get, especially even in an ending of a relationship. I tell people, hey, this is important. 
This is like an aspect of your legacy. This ending is so important. Yeah. Be present with it. Ooh, yeah. I heard that voice in my head when I first came back to town a couple of weeks ago after my dating cities thing. I, I heard a voice in my head that a woman had said to me, who's a therapist here in town, when I was parting ways from Robin, my, my ex, after a 20-year marriage. She said, pay attention to every detail here. This really matters. She wasn't just speaking to me as a writer you know, grist for the mill and all that. She was just speaking to me as a person. This really matters, the endings, like you said. And pay attention to every detail of it because it's rich. Mm. Don't just like try to get a fix. Next relationship, plunge into work, get uh, drunk, whatever, you know, the, all the ways that people can distract themselves. These, this matters. Pay attention to the endings. That just came up for me about paying attention of when you gave that story of our mutual friend saying goodbye in that tender way. And whatever input that I gave, I didn't want to, I didn't give my authentic response of, of you are so loved. Mm. And I so look forward to hearing more and more of those stories of people in your life showing that love. And uh, I can also feel that part of me of how I am going to show you the love for when we're not going to see each other for a while. And yeah. it's hard to even go there in that, that vulnerability. I don't want to make it some patent response that I'm going to give and so forth, but just oh, that we'll moment. see each other again. <laughs> well, that's, that's what we were talking about. Cause I know that that's not our goodbye. The way that our friendship is, yeah. we're going to be seeing each other. We're going to be flying places where we're, where we are and so yeah. forth. But that moment captured me of, wow, let me, let me really sit for that vulnerability of also my love for you as a friend of saying goodbye. And, Whew, that that's tender. Right. That hits it. And brings us back to the beginning again is you need to be in touch with how you're actually feeling to even be able to feel it, no less express it to me. Right. I mean, you need to be vulnerable enough, let's say, to just even touch that place in yourself without freaking out and running for the hills. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this I feel sadness or I feel loss or maybe I feel anger or maybe I feel abandonment. Somebody said to me, uh, maybe it was you, is it harder to be the one who leaves or the right. one who's left? Exactly. Yeah, I haven't been left by many friends. I was <laughs> I, I was always one that left. Sorry to break your streak, man. I know, man. <laughs> so like I'm on the other end of the stick right now, right. and I've got to really feel that. Yeah. And, and it's a new experience. Yeah, it can be a stinker. Yeah. So the self-reflection required to just feel what you feel I mean, if nothing else, it's rich. We were endowed with this incredible spectrum of emotions, and they're all good. You know, it's like joy isn't better than sorrow. It's just at the other end of the spectrum. And I don't know, the spiritual teachers I think of in my life would say, ah, now this. It wouldn't be like, oh, let's get this over with. And it's so harder, of course, for men because of societal teachings about do we feel those vulnerable and harder feelings. Yeah. Uh, do we allow ourselves, you know, in a loss like this, uh, like a friendship and somebody moving the vulnerability of loneliness or the vulnerability of that? So those questions that we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to be actually courageous and strong to be that vulnerable? Do I want to show up in my authentic self? Yeah. Or do I want to just go ahead and push that aside and put my mask on that everything's right. okay? Real men don't cry, et cetera, et cetera. Big boys don't. So, you know, I imagine you and I share this in our line of work. Aren't most people who either come to therapy or provoke therapy women? Yes. 80%, 75% of everybody who comes to my workshops around the world are women. And part of it is that we're opening up this Pandora's box of (laughs) self-reflection. 
And men are just, they're not wired, they're not taught, they're not modeled how to do that so well. I mean, how many, how many times do you run into couples in therapy where he's only there because she threatened him, if you're not going to come, it's over. <laughs> I had a guy call up for uh, couples therapy uh, the other day, and he said to me, well, do you have any questions for me? I said, you know, actually, I don't. Just because you called, you're the one that called and not your wife, oh. I have a little inclining that you actually want to do the work. Uh, so I don't have a whole lot of questions. You just <laughs> answered a question. You're wow. willing to do it because you made that phone, Ooh, first yeah. phone call. And that's one out of 10? Is that... <laughs> Yeah, about one out of ten. Usually, when of course a man is threatened, threatened to to be left, right? That that he'll take that that phone call. That he'll right. Make that phone call. Right. You know, and as a man who's been in therapy myself in couples therapy, I know it's feet to the fire stuff. Right. It's an acquired taste. <laughs> what are some of the questions that you ask in your workshops that trigger some of the self reflecting that you think? would be a positive thing for people to know themselves in regards to how they relate to other people? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, there is that one question. Where can you say this about yourself? I like myself here. What relationships, what places, and what activities? You know, where you can say, I really like who shows up when I'm doing X or when I'm with X. I ask questions like, based on Arnold Mindell's work, started mm-hmm. in process-oriented psychology, yeah. his comment in an interview that I had with him where he said, symptoms are dreams trying to come true. Mm, I love that. <laughs> I know, it's wild. So I say, okay, two-part question. Write down some recurring symptom in your body. Just anything that's got your attention. And then part two is give it a voice. Let it fill in the blank. Now, this would be the symptom speaking to you, saying, my dream is that you would, and then you fill in the blank. That's another whole piece, self-reflective practices, looking at symptoms What's the dream in the body? That tells you a lot. And you'd be amazed at the kind of remarks that people have. It's like, oh, I've always had knee problems. And my knees are saying, my dream is that you would move forward, not backward. Wow. And stuff like that. It's, Mm. you know, or one guy said, uh, I have chronic dandruff. And my dandruff says, my dream is that you would have one big idea rather than a bunch of small flaky ones. (laughs) I love that. I mean, it's brilliant, metaphoric stuff. And, uh, you know, God knows what a panel of doctors would say about that conversation. But I think that what's compelling is that people can make these connections for themselves. And besides, the word symptom itself means a sign. Ah. The word pathology means the logic of pain. So that's a question I ask is under the heading of self-reflection is what is your body telling you? And are you paying attention to the signs? Definitely. Right. What is it a sign of? Right. And then I ask, you know, I start off with easier questions like what section of the bookstore do you always go into first when you walk into a bookstore? You know, maybe there's a pattern in there. That's wild. I always go to the relationship one. I mean, it's it's so interesting. It's not just because it's my my work. It's my interest. And so I love that my interest and my work is combined together. But that is. And I've always kind of pushed myself recently. Don't go to the relationship part. But another part is (laughs) like, but I want to keep learning about it. I love it. Well, there's that's one of the diagnostics right there is anything you feel that way about. Tell that story that you told me about Leo Buscalia and how you first encountered him in your life and the impact that had. Yeah, I was telling, uh, we were talking about how excited I am to do a monologue on a tribute to Leo Biscaglia. 
and I uh, came across some of his quotes. And the first time that I saw Leo Buscaglia, I was 13 years old. I remember it distinctly in my den watching him on PBS giving some lecture. And I thought to myself, and here he is, uh, this grown man, this Italian man that's so flamboyant, talking about love and his mother and hugs and hugging people. And I thought to myself at 13, I want to do this. Oh, my God, this guy is actually getting paid to talk about this. I want to do that. Right. And he was my hero. And what did I do? I got sidetracked. I went to college and studied international business, business and Japanese and got involved until I had to come back to my knowing after doing a lot of self-inquiry, right. a lot of questions that then I turned my second half of my life around and became the work that I'm doing but now. That's, that's it right there is what keeps coming back for you. You know, what is it that keeps, that won't go away? What have you rejected in your case that seems determined to claim you? There you go. What, what have you rejected? What yeah. have you have tried to avoid in the course of your creative side, your true work, parenting, a simple life in the country, or your, whatever? What, what follows you around anyway? And also to just to notice what turns your lights on, like mm -hmm. your reaction or response to Leo Bascalio, who you, you didn't mention this, but I love this piece. He taught the most popular class at USC in L.A., on love. On love. The, the most, most popular. popular class at the University of Southern California. The fact that you had such a visceral response at such a young age says that this was something to look at. But you've, again, this those receivers, you have to have them a little bit turned on to even notice the reaction. I remember remember the, the singer-songwriter Dan Fogelberg? Mm -hmm. He was one of my, my go-to um, singer-songwriters when I was in high school. And I remember a line in one of his songs that said, when faced with the truth, the strongest man cries. Mm. And I heard that in my teens. And I remember, I've never forgotten that notion because that to me is another one of those little metrics that you can look at to tell you you're close to something vital. What makes you cry like in movies or books or something somebody says? What makes you cry? Because that is another royal road to the unconscious, to what really matters to you. Yeah. Your body is giving you a huge signal of Total. like, pause, this is important. Right. Yeah. But to notice those things and not just run over them. Uh, and maybe like in your case, it takes a half a lifetime to come back around to it. Right. Maybe not. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> right. I am so looking forward to having more and more of these question sessions just in our hangs yeah. to talk more about your process of, of moving and my process of being left mm -mm. and our wonderful friendship and all these other wonderful topics and more that we can even talk about this podcast. So, man, thank you so much. This was juicy. It was juicy. Yeah. As always. Cool. We'll do it again. All right. Thanks, brother. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier 
at podcraft.us. <laughs>